Welcome back to the Easy Podcast. This is episode eight with... Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm not used to being on the other end of that. Usually I'm the one that starts I know. I'm just throwing... I'm... That was uncomfortable. <laughs> Welcome to how I feel every week. <laughs> you should be used to it by now. Okay. Hi, I'm Zach Abbott. <laughs> With me, as always, is <laughs> Eric Thurston. <laughs> dying He's over dying here. over here. He's dying over here. Oh, that was great. Yeah, and uh, this is the easy podcast, as Eric so eloquently said for the first time ever recorded. There you go. <laughs> first and last. Yeah, probably. and uh, this is episode eight, and what are we talking about? Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, and? Mm, Star is born. And? Less than zero. And? Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, the thing that's been taking up all of my free time. <laughs> that's what he's really oh, excited man. about. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that some yeah. more. But uh, first off, we're going to get to what we've been working on. Eric, you got something. I've kind of been just, all my free time has been spent playing <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2. But you are working on something right now. What's going on with that? Yeah, I'm working. I'm still working out the um, pre-production for kind of the 25-year biopic for what I've been doing in film and photography. However, this last week I was in New York, and so I had to take a break from that. And I was in New York because my son just signed a big record deal with Atlantic, and yeah. we had to ratify his deal. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was his first time in New York City running around Times Square. Wow, that's that's quite the uh, the event to go to New York for, for your first time. Just yeah. To sign your record deal and... On Halloween of all days. Oh, it was on Halloween. Yeah, it was oh, Halloween. Right. Wow. Yeah, and of course, I I decided I'm going to vlog while I'm there. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was cool. So I, you know, being a, a vlogger and a YouTuber in that space, and I thought, well, what, what? I've got six hours of free time. He had other meetings that I wasn't a part of, and so I'm running around, and I'm like, okay, where do I go? You know, I hadn't been to Central Park. Okay. I've been in New York a number of times, but I haven't been to Central Park. Haven't been over the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. Like I've been to it and taken photos of it, but I haven't like actually walked over it or been over it, which I thought, well, maybe that might be cool. But I'm like, mm, Casey Neistat's new YouTube studio <laughs> 368 looks really tempting. Yeah. So that bubbled up to the top of the list. And then, of course, the largest photo video store in the world. Right. B&H. B &H. So that was, my, that was my six hours, 368, and running around on the subway to get there and, and B&H. So, so who's, who's Casey Neistat and what's 368 for people that might not know? <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Casey Neistat is a filmmaker, YouTuber, and he started making films a number of years ago, he had a series on HBO with his brother, um, and I forget the title right off the top of my head, but, um, and, and he's been doing amazing things. He developed uh, an app that was like a video sharing app called Beam, sold the Beam company to CNN, and had a relationship with CNN with maybe kind of retooling what traditional news looks like. Mm -hmm. And so Beam News kind of was born out of that. Um, but he's been doing filmmaking for many years and probably one of the top YouTubers that's doing that particular thing. Yeah, he's definitely in the upper scale 
on the YouTubers that are doing filmmaking and vlogging. Um, he's kind of pioneered the vlogging look and, and style that you see everybody imitating now. So. Right, yeah. And 368 is his uh, newly opened studio, right? Where you can yeah. kind of walk in, rent out a space, and do... Creative studio, yeah. creative space for for um, they've added an element of gaming to it. They've they're do, they've got podcasting stations. They've got editing stuff in there. They I I didn't actually go in because they had this big. If you watch his channel, they he just recently released this video where oh and I forget the guy's name. Very famous photographer that does that does these group nudes all over the world. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I actually wasn't able to get in because Spencer Tunick was there doing this uh, photo shoot installation with seventy naked people. So jeez, um, in three six eight inside the studio. Wow. So it was it's kind that of big of a studio. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it's two stories, and it's like that whole section of. I mean, it's. I mean, for New York, it's a good. Yeah, size. right. Yeah, also um, very expensive for New York. But. Uh, but yeah, so I, I actually tweeted tweeted Casey and I said, "Hey, what's the what's the chance of being able to record my vlog from from 368?" Now he was busy doing this photo shoot and didn't respond. I didn't expect a response to be honest. So, but I went over there, was walking around. I've seen seen it filmed a hundred times mm-hmm. from his from his YouTube channel, and I go, "Oh, this is cool." And so. Decided I would explain why I haven't been vlogging in the last few weeks. Like, I put two videos up in the last three weeks. And so, <clears throat> as I'm walking around the block doing my vlog and talking about different value, like entertainment value or um, educational value or inspirational value and, and being more clear on what this content strategy yeah, is going to be. Yeah, what the direction of the channel would be for you. And so I'm, I walk, I'm, I, I walk across the street. So I have three, six. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I'm going to sit down opposite side of the street. I'm, I'm vlogging. The camera's on me. It's got three, six, eight in the background. I go, yeah, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Who's in the background? Casey. Casey, <laughs> Casey comes out, and I guess he was, he was leaving the studio for the day, and and I happened to, you know, this uh, paramedic goes by, and and so I pause because of the loud sirens and I turn around and I'm like, Hey, look, I'm just sitting here vlogging and there's Casey. (laughs) And so that was kind of a cool experience, you know, said hello. He waved back as he boosted off, boosted (laughs) board down the street, which was classic, you know, it's, I mean, that's another thing he's known for is riding his electric skateboard all over New York well, City. I'm, I'm glad you got the uh, the Casey Neistat full experience. Though. Yeah. That's pretty funny. But yeah, someday I'll probably, not probably, but someday I'll get the opportunity to film in there yeah. doing some kind of something or other. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, there's a couple of places kind of like that in New York. I think in L.A. also, but YouTube studios, or I don't know if they call them YouTube studios, but there's some studios set up by YouTube that yes. I think if you have a certain amount of subscribers or something, yes. you can go in and use 10,000 and yeah. up. but it's like red cameras and stuff and it costs yeah. nothing. Yeah. So you can go in there and grab some cameras and some gear and shoot stuff. And yeah, I don't think you can leave the premise, but um, no. yeah, it's really interesting that this culture that we have now of just um, social media and YouTube uh, yeah, I don't want to say celebrityism. I mean, there is some of that, but at the same time, like some of these guys are putting in 
serious work and creativity. So I don't want to discount that at all. But, yeah, they are. But really cool stuff. So yeah, there's five of those studios. To my knowledge, there's there's one in L.A. There's there's one in Toronto. Okay. There's one in Sydney, Australia. There's one in London, and I believe the other one is in. Um, I'm not sure if it's New York or Berlin. I think it's New York. Yeah. But yeah, they might have one in Berlin yeah. too now. I mean, it's not like they're hurting for money to no. open up some of those. So yeah, but it is a cool place where you know if you're if you're doing that thing and you're at that level because you you're committed and you have to be to be able to get to those numbers, having those resources is is really cool. Yeah. So that's what you've been working on. I haven't been working on anything. Um, what I did want to talk about, though, is there's this YouTube channel that I watch all the time, and it's these guys. Um, they make pretty humorous kind of like video reviews of movies, and they're independent filmmakers, definitely independent filmmakers, you know, in their own right. But um, if you're unfamiliar with them, uh, they're called Red Letter Media, and mm. they got really popular years ago for doing these Star Wars prequel video reviews uh, where they're just totally grilling the Star Wars prequels. And But they've kind of ballooned into um, creating their own content and being one of the, I think, probably one of the most viewed like movie review YouTubes, um, channels. What do you, I mean, I yeah, guess they, call them. Yeah, they have... Um, almost 900,000 subscribers. So yeah. they're just shy of a million, which I'm sure they'll probably cross before the end of the year. Yeah. But these guys are hilarious. They're um, they're based out of Milwaukee. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they're not anywhere near, like, the actual industry or anything, but I think that makes it um, almost a little more a little more interesting. Um, For know, sure. Just kind of some average Joes that are, you know, they're making stuff with what they have, but then they're also talking about movies and their insight into a lot of stuff. They'll, you know, they'll break down things um, really well, mostly from a story perspective, not so much a technical perspective, but it's just really interesting to hear kind of these guys talk about movies and some, I mean, oftentimes I don't agree with them, but sometimes um, most of the time I probably do with kind of their viewpoints on some, on certain movies. But yeah, um, I, I suggest checking those guys out. Um, definitely, uh, more adult <laughs> than, than not adult. So there's your warning there for, you know, PG 13 rating mm -hmm. on that, but they're hilarious. Check them out. And, um, red letter media. Yeah. Red letter media. So I'll put that in the show notes, but yep. So what else you've been doing or watching? Well, um, saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which we'll talk about in a second, but I've mostly been playing red dead redemption too. Uh, Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I think he's been late all week to everything. Hey, uh, yeah, I've been busy. Uh, <laughs> like, wait, really? Like, what's up? Like, what project are we going to? Um, Red Dead Redemption. Hey, I got to get out of here by five <laughs> so I can be home by 5 30. Speaking play. of which, we got to cut this yeah, short. So, if we could just get this wrapped up real quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2 has been taking up all of my free time and. Uh, the last game that I had that was like this where I just could not stop playing it was probably The Last of Us on PS4 or mm. PS3, I guess, mm -hmm. when it came out. Um, man, this game this game is uh, it's so immersive. It's so fun and interesting. And, um, you know, uh, Roger Ebert, you know, rest in peace, he said that video games are not an art. Yeah. What? Yeah. 
Hang on. <laughs> so he said this years and years ago, um, and he's now passed away. And I, I don't know if he, you know, if he ever changed his mind on that. I, I never looked into it, but I always, it always seemed like an interesting statement. You know, he, he considered music and art, like, you know, uh, paintings and stuff and For film sure. obviously is yeah. art, but he, he had an issue with video games, something about, you know, you having to participate or you having to force the creativity or force the actions. Um, he didn't, he didn't like, he didn't think it was artistic, but this game in the last, I would say probably the last maybe seven, eight years of video games. Absolutely. Has just been this huge turning point, I think in cinematic video gaming. Yeah. And which attributes to a lot of why gaming is eclipsing the movie industry when it comes to generating revenue. It's a multi-billion dollar industry just on esports alone. Yeah. And that doesn't include the single player aspect of anything that, you know, people are doing. I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 right now is it's all single player. There is no online component to it yet. I mean, that's going to come with an update from what I understand, but yeah. It's just it's interesting there's this world of these these, you know, single player genre movies or not movies, but games that play like movies. Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of them. Um, Naughty Dog makes the Uncharted series games, and they also make the Last of Us series. And then there's The Witcher, right. uh, even Fallout. You know, games like this, they're just they're incredibly cinematic and um, engaging in their storytelling. And I think if, if we could find a way to make movies this hands-on from a viewer's perspective... I think it'd be really interesting. I don't think it should be the way that all movies go. I don't think, you know, because Avatar came out and then every movie was 3D for the next seven years. Right. I don't think that's the way it should go. But there's something that we haven't quite gotten right with VR in 360 as a medium that I think video games as their own still capture better than any of those sort of, cause yeah. you're not limited in, in, in VR in 360, you can, you're kind of on, um, kind of like a, a track, you know, kind of like one of yeah. those, like a, you're on a bit of a roller coaster, but you, you can't really decide for the most part where you want to go. Right. Um, I, I'm not talking about playing fallout and stuff through VR. That's, that's a totally different thing, but those games weren't intended to be played that way. I think if we could figure out a way to maybe make an interesting movie, that incorporates that somehow where interactive. Yeah. Some sort of an interactive movie. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see somebody do it right and do it well. And then still keeping that story intact. Um, yeah, because you mean, you think about, you know, when you're playing a video game, there's a, there's, there's achievements that you acquire while you're playing. And so there's reinforcement while you're of, of, you know, whatever, if it's that dopamine hit or whatever yeah, it is right. that you're, that you're getting like, yes, I leveled up. Yes. I got that, that diamond sniper rifle. I got, yeah, you know, right, I got to be right. all these different, um, achievements in that process. Whereas, and it's, and, and you're rewarded because of something that you did mm-hmm. participating in this, in, in this environment, this, you know, um, I don't know what the right word is for that, but as opposed to, where in a, in a movie you're just going along, you're you're, you're, yeah, bu- you're, you're buckling in, and right. you're just going along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody else's ride, not necessarily yours. Yeah, I mean, I think the emotions that you feel are your own, and, sure. and it might, might be a little coerced into those emotions, which I'll get into with 
Bohemian Rhapsody in a little bit. But oh, and I'm, I've got some he, things to say yeah. about Lesson Zero for yeah. sure. But I, I think it's it's just an interesting dynamic to think that um, games have come so far, and especially just just in graphics. It, the, I mean, this Amazing. is one of the most beautiful games I've, I've ever seen. The, the vistas and the sunsets and the rainstorms and just environmental pieces. And anyways, it's really really engaging. And I've been I've been doing my best, you know, Red Dead Redemption cowboy outlaw voice for the last four days. I'm pretty sure my wife's over it, but. Um, oh, we have to hear this. No, don't. Yeah, uh, we we have to. No. All right. Your all right. wife's tired of it. We have not gotten tired That's true. of it yet. Yeah. So give me, give me a sentence. Give me a sentence. Give me a sentence. Do you feel lucky, punk? Oh, come on. Don't give me that <laughs> sentence. I can't live up to Clint Eastwood. Gosh. It's the first one that oh, came man. to mind. Um, how about this hot sauce is made in New York City? All right. <clears throat> Give me a second. <clears throat> this hot sauce is made in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was fan- Get a rope. That Get was, a rope. That's awesome. <laughs> I think you need to do the rest of the podcast in that voice. <laughs> in, in my, for those who don't know, haven't played uh, Red Dead yet, the main character in it is this guy named Arthur Morgan. And he talks like this throughout everything that he's doing. And... Uh, I've gotten pretty good at talking like it. So uh, I found out the easiest way to do it is just add some grit to your voice. And then you extend your vowels quite a bit. And uh, that gives you a nice outlaw voice. Nice. Yeah. So uh, my wife keeps telling me to start doing voiceover work. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I can do a pretty good pirate. So too, if you're looking for voiceover, <laughs> yeah, please re- uh, reach out to, uh, to Zach yeah, Email Abbott. me at uh, yep. zach.abbots at gmail.com. There you go. You. I can do some Looney Tune voices probably. I don't know. See what I can see what I can get. But if you need a cowboy, hit me up. I'm ready for it. <laughs> that's that's fantastic all right that's enough red dead talk let's get into some movies so uh the first movie we're going to talk about is one that i saw um but eric has not been able to see i was supposed to see it my wife hijacked my movie plan and said we have to she like she's been leaning in on me said we have to see more she when we went to see venom yeah. She went to the other theater at the same time right. to watch Stars Born. That's funny. <laughs> she saw the better movie. <laughs> she did. She did. And um and so she would not let me go see she goes, We are going to see like she was leaning in pretty this hard. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And and that's not the that's not how our relationship is, but when she leaned in that hard for a movie and I'm the movie guy, sure. I'm like, alright, I, I uh, yeah, yeah, you you go with it. And I was gonna scram. I was I had it. I had a plan. I was gonna see Bohemian today, <laughs> and and then we visited a friend that is kind of wrestling through some um, cancer yeah, stuff. Yeah. And 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 I'm like, okay, I can go. I, there's a three o'clock, and then and it's then, like we're gonna record the podcast <laughs> at three thirty. I'm like, oh, I don't think I can. Is there a fast forward button? Uh, this Bohemian can I watch it times ten <laughs> yeah. and speed times ten? <laughs> yeah. But I thought, yeah, let's go for it. Anyway. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, it, it's it's not a movie that I, I think we both need to have seen to to talk about. Um, you probably know a good portion of Freddie Mercury and Queen's history. You were alive then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds so awful. 
<laughs> I'm not that old. People. I know you're not, not, but you were alive during this. Although you were pretty young for this. Um, I mean, the height of their career was like 82. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were what? That was 13, 13 14. 14. Yeah. So yeah, it's not like, I mean, were you a queen fan? I was yeah. actually, I mean, um, going into that, that whole, I think at that time you had the birth of MTV and, yeah. and so it made, it made music more accessible to, to kids. Mm-hmm. I think kids heard music, heard their parents' music when they're riding around in the car. Right. Which is why a lot of kids hated their parents' music because they're like, mm, it doesn't resonate with yeah, me. Yeah, right. Um, and so for me, it was on the rock side anyway. It was Queen. Um, they, you know, they had music. There wasn't a lot of bands that had music videos right. on MTV. MTV in the early years was scrambling to get content mm-hmm. because there just wasn't, there wasn't any. Um, but, and, the songwriting was, in a sense, so easy to participate in and resonate. Yeah, it's actually a um, a common theme, like a reoccurring theme in the movie, is that whenever they're talking about writing songs and um, who Queen is as a band and as a character, I guess you could say, um, they constantly bring up, like, Queen is for those misfits in the back of the room, those yeah. the ones that aren't a part of any group, um, but they resonate with, with the lyrics or the music and by them doing that, now they're a part of a group. Right. And so it was this band of misfits that got together and made music for the other misfits and it blew up. Yeah. And the timing, the timing too on their release. So, I mean, they, they blew up late seventies, early eighties and, and you had this time in music where seventies, was pretty much dominated by disco. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that disco did not resonate with. Yeah, I and mean, the, the big backlash with Kiss doing a disco it, album and everything, right. I mean, it was, it just, it was, I mean, kind of that was the thing. Now, you also had, you also had um, synthesizers being developed, Chris mm-hmm. um, yeah, Will, and, and that whole, yeah. and then the new wave things started coming through early 80s. And so... There was a lot of talk about, you know, rock is dead. You know, the whole disco movement's like, oh, rock and roll is dead, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, rock and roll isn't dead. And it's funny because I just saw this meme on Facebook yesterday oh, where there's this guitar on fire and this guy's smashing it on the ground in, in true Jimi Hendrix, Monterey Pop, 1967 style, you know. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, and the meme text said rock and roll is truly dead and saying hip hop and it, the pop and all these things are, are surpassing it. Now, and that may be true when it comes to record sales as far as bottom line P&L reports for these record labels, but it's never going to be dead. Yeah. And, and it doesn't need to be. And there's it. <laughs> and so anyway, I digress a little bit, but that whole rock scene, Queen was still a big part of what true rock was as far as they're, they're musicians playing instruments. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all this overproduced digital, you know, and even, even the, the new wave movement with all the synthesizers and all that type of stuff got a lot of 
um, pushback in the beginning and like, oh, that's not music, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah, computers making it. Yeah, yeah right. and which I don't agree with that either. No. Um, but, you know, you have bands like Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, um, ACDC that are musicians playing instruments and Queen was right there with them. Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases kind of more along the lines like Journey where they resonated with a bigger audience. Yeah, I did register with a larger audience, which is it's interesting because I, I didn't grow up in this time um, with them being out there. So I just, I think my first exposure to Queen was probably like a lot of people my age. It was watching, you know, um, Wayne's World for the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably my first time hearing them. And it's funny because Michael Myers is in this movie as he's a record executive or something. And there's a little joke in there. Oh, really? That, yeah, that kind of, kind of references the, the Wayne's World thing. But, um, party on. Yeah. <laughs> they, nobody says that, but it is pretty funny. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how accurate this movie is. Um, from a filmmaking standpoint, though, it was it was really interesting and kind of um, more from an editing perspective. The first half of the movie, um, to kind of give some backstory, Brian Singer, who I will go on record as saying I think is a terrible person, um, but I won't get into that, is credited as the director of this film. And it has even all, after being let go in the process. Yeah. So there's a bunch Interesting. of, there's a bunch of DGA rules, which is the director's guild of America right, rules yeah. that require once a movie gets to a certain point in production, the director has the option to, um, have his name taken off of it or allow his name to be the accredited director. Um, he did leave, not leave. He was asked to leave. He was fired basically. Um, with only like a few weeks left in production. Right. And so this guy named Dexter Fletcher took over. I have no idea what part of this movie is reshoots or pickups from the, the Dexter Fletcher director. Um, so the editing must have been pretty seamless then. Yeah. It, it, there's only one moment in it where it feels like, oh, this is this is kind of weird where the tone and this like the, the first half of it's really pretty stylistic in the editing and mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting and it's kind of poppy and um, it feels kind of unique in that regard. But then all of a sudden it kind of takes this turn and it's just kind of normal from there on out. Hmm. And I don't know if that was um, from the get go, that was the intention or what, but like kind of the buildup of queen forming, which, I found out it's not at all accurate in the movie, but that's fine. Whatever. So you can take liberties with movies. I think, I think to get a, you know, an emotion or to hurry a story along, I think it's fine to take certain liberties with certain things. Um, But there was a few things that were really kind of weird timeline wise in this that I was like, well, this is, this is a real band and these things really happened. Um, It was strange for them to say that like, um, you know, certain songs were recorded three years after they actually were recorded. And Mm. what was interesting though, is the editing in the first half I actually really enjoyed. And I thought it was, it was pretty great. And it was, like I said, it was interesting. Um, But I don't know if this feels like a movie that was maybe changed in the edit. 
Um, not in a bad way. It, it's definitely cohesive and it makes sense yeah. and it's not a cluster at all of a movie. That's cool. Um, it never once didn't feel like the same movie really, even though there is that kind of tonal shift there that I was like, actually it was just like a, this is a visual moment where I remember thinking this feels like somebody else took over or this feels like the previous crew shot this. I, I couldn't tell which one it was either, you know, the replacement crew or not, but um, the overall movie is, is pretty good. I think, I think the only issue I have with it from a storytelling perspective is it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty by the numbers. Oh yeah. You know, it's a lot of like fill in the blank, um, not fill in the blank, fill in the, in the color, you know, fill in the number, mm-hmm. paint, paint my number. Thank you. Jeez. Yeah. Gosh, brain get there. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it was fine. I, I have a, I have a lot of respect for Queen as a band. Um, I think they're one of those bands that was just so unique in their sound and mm-hmm. in their way that they produce music that um, I have a connection with them in a lot of ways that I, a lot of similar ways that um, they portray in the movie um, with their, their fans being misfits. And that's kind of the whole push and it's the whole thing of why they got together in the first place. But um yeah, I thought that the the rest of the movie could have been more interesting, taking more liberties in the edit. But what I mean by being sculpted in the edit is there's never, at least from what I can recall, there's never like a moment where they say verbally, like no no character says the year or anything. They just do it with title cards. And those title cards don't always match up to when those, those happened. moments happened in, yeah. in time, in actual time. Um so I think there's something like We Will Rock You, they say, is being recorded in like 1980. But I think it was recorded in like 77 or something like that yeah. you know, in reality. So it's just little things like that where it felt like maybe they were sculpting moments for the, for the benefit of the story and the emotion instead of actually going off of what really happened in, in the world. Because life isn't always very interesting, so sometimes you got to – at least in a biopic, you got to change things a certain way to maybe convey a certain emotion, which we mentioned earlier about stories being sculpted in a way to force an emotion or force right. um, some sort of a reaction from you. Right. Um, there is definitely the like the last thirty five minutes of this movie are nothing but forced emotion for the audience. Like for me, like I'm my wife and I are in just everybody in the theater. The theater was packed, which I was really surprised to see, but it was, it was kind of cool to see that there was an audience for this band still that hasn't really been doing anything for almost 30 years. You know, Freddie Mercury died in 91, 92, maybe I think it was 91, but um, it's just, yeah, it's just really interesting to see the, the theater full, which was cool. But the last 30 minutes of it, is nothing but like imagery and story that is not, is doing nothing but forcing you to just cry. You know, it's, wow. It's, it's not so much like it's in, um, because Freddie dies like two thirds of the way through or three quarters. Well, of the way no, through, he doesn't, then... he doesn't spoiler alert for, Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, Spo- yeah. Spoil- spoiler. Freddie Mercury is a real human being that died in 1992. Yeah. Um, early nineties, I'll say, cause I can't remember exactly. But anyways, he, the movie doesn't go that far. It ends at live aid. Oh, okay. Which is 84. Yeah. 84, 85, uh, yeah, maybe 85. Wait. Um, 
85, okay. July of 85. And I remember because I wanted to go to that and my parents said no. Because it was in London and <laughs> Chicago was the other And I was place, too young. Or? I can't remember. I Anyways, Milwaukee young. maybe it was. I can't remember. But yeah, it wasn't in like LA or anything, which no. I, I didn't realize. It was kind of an interesting uh, location for Yeah, it. Wembley Stadium in London and then JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, that's yeah. right. So, I could have made it to Philadelphia. Yeah, I was could've. pretty, I, I was, yeah, that and um, the Us Festival in 82 was the was the other one that I really, I was like, <gasps> in excess, you two. I mean, there were so oh, many right. uh, epic bands that I'm like, oh, I have to go to this. So and parents looked at me cross-eyed like, no. Anyway, funny, funny side note, history note, little gag here is the guy that announced the lineup for Live Aid didn't actually have any of the bands for sure booked. Well, and that was, so that was, uh, um, oh gosh, what's his name from the Boomtown Rats? Uh, oh gosh, Bob Geldof. Bob, Bob Geldof, Geldof, that's right, yes. I'm like, Bob Geldof was the, like, he was kind of the one that yeah. got that whole thing going. But it was funny because he, he announced all these bands and he had no booking of them at all. No official booking. None of them had agreed to do it. Most of them that faithful. were announced had no idea that it was happening. That the announcement was even being made. And, and once their band was mentioned, they were, you know, but none of them wanted to be schmucks uh, and uh, say uh, yeah, that I don't want to managers on their phone after yeah. I can imagine. So none of them wanted to be like, no, we don't want to help the entire nation of right. Africa. Because you're going to look like a <laughs> yeah. tool. Yeah. So it's funny because Dire Straits um, <laughs> had a concert in London that night. So they actually played two concerts that day. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they didn't want to back out of the yeah. Live Aid and so then go and short, play their own short concert. short set, so. I'm sure. Well, each, each band had 20 minutes to play. Oh, okay. So probably yeah. three songs. The last Four, maybe. The last 20 minutes of this movie, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know, but it's already happened, it's a real thing. The last 20 minutes is the concert. Oh, it's so the it's Live a, Aid concert. It's Live Aid It footage. ends with that. No, well, no, it, it's a complete recreation of the Live Aid concert. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. It, it's actually really interesting. So there's some unique um, technical things that they do. There's like this drone shot that comes from outside Wembley Stadium. It's all CGI, but still it's really interesting. Um, it comes from outside Wembley Stadium and then swoops down into Wembley Stadium, goes over all the crowd and everything, and then ends on Freddie and, and Queen on stage nice. playing. And it's this really cool moment um, technically that's really interesting. Um, but what I was going back to what I was talking about, about forced emotion and stuff is leading up to this, you just come from this like doctor moment where Freddie goes and meets with a doctor and then finds out that he's got AIDS, which I come to find out doing some research on it, that he wasn't confirmed positive two until two years after live AIDS. So it's this whole yeah, the timing forced off, thing yeah. about getting the emotion out of there. And, and then also the, the Wait, movie. So, so there, are they cutting, let me ask you this. Are they cutting that scene in where he visits the doctor with the underscore of them on stage? No. So it's, it's, it's its own scene beforehand and it's actually kind of cut in with who wants to live forever Oh wow! From yeah, Highlander, yeah. and also uh, what's what's the album that it, I can't remember what the album it comes from. But anyways, that album came out after Live Aid, right? Too, but whatever. It's the soundtrack. They're not actually playing it, so it's fine. But yeah, it was really interesting because you have this kind of build up, you know, where he fires his 
lover slash agent and who, and then that agent goes and has a, a moment where he actually like outs Freddie Mercury and all this stuff. And then he goes and he gets tested and, and then the movie is found out positive. And but anyways, it didn't actually happen for a couple more years. It doesn't matter. The story is there. Yeah. You, I mean, it's not, yeah. if, if you wanted an exact replica, you know, replication. Yes. Yeah, so it's not a documentary. Go watch a documentary. Yeah. It's yeah. not a documentary. Uh, this is a, there's certain liberties feature, that you can yeah. take. Now, if all of a sudden it was like Freddie Mercury grew wings and flew away from live aid, like <laughs> then I'd have an issue with it. <laughs> But you're trying to convey an emotion and in a then in it a becomes story. a fantasy, and, right? So, but the last 20 minutes of this movie are the a recreation of the of the 20 minute set that they had wow. at That's Live cool. Aid, and it's really pretty cool. And then it ends with the title card saying, you know, Freddie Mercury died in 1991. Yeah. But the way that it's built up is it, you know, it lots of shots of people's faces, lots of emotional shots of people's right. faces playing this Live Aid, and it made it come across like he was. Like, how is Freddie playing with AIDS and all this stuff? And it was just, it did feel a little forced. It got me. I'm not going to say it didn't work. I, yeah. But looking back at it retrospectively, yeah, it's a forced emotional moment um, that's... Which is... is I mean, so, but maybe that's, maybe that's a, I guess that's good storytelling. It, I mean, if it got you, then yes, it's a, yeah. it's good storytelling, especially for somebody of your background and, and experience, because you're well versed on crafting those stories in, in, in filmmaking. And it's funny that you talk about this forced emotion in that, in Bohemian Rhapsody, because Stars Born has the same thing. Oh, I'm, yeah. It ha it's, there's. If you haven't seen Stars Born, it's been out for a number of weeks now, so spoilery alert. And also coming. it was made 30 years ago for the first <laughs> right, time. Right, yeah. Um, however, however Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, yeah, which yeah. is amazing, um, but talking about the, the kind of the forced emotion, um, towards the end, the, um, you know, Bradley Cooper's character is committed suicide and uh, and there's a there's like this memorial show that they put on and f and for me I'm like identifying all the all the locations I'm right. like oh that's the yeah. shrine auditorium oh that's a greek theater oh you know and I'm yeah yeah which my wife kind of got annoyed by it. Are you saying it's in the theater? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's oh, a Greek, on. and it, because it, it was like there were three rows that were empty. That Listeners, we were, please don't yeah, talk yeah. during the movie. <laughs> she does it to me all the time, so no, don't just stop. <laughs> just payback. Just don't do it. But you're the theater yourself. Go for it. So, the, so the so there's an end scene where. Um, Lady Gaga's character, and she f was phenomenal. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Her uh, her acting in this, uh, if she doesn't get a nod, then I'm concerned because she did such an amazing job. It was so, you just got drew into her emotion. Um, but she's at this memorial where all these people are, and she's singing this song that, that he had written to her um, right before you know, he had committed suicide. And then, um, so there's this kind of emotional wrestling getting through. And then towards the end of the song, I mean, most of it is her singing the song mm -hmm. and they're taking like these creative shots or, you know, in, in, in the live space. And then they cut to this previous scene where he's uh, yeah. working on the song 
on the piano with her there and she's crying. I mean, it was like, yeah. let me just punch you right in the feels, <laughs> right. like right now. Yeah, we're going on a feels and, trip. And if, you, and if, yeah. And my, my wife and I were talking about this as we walked out and she goes, I was so mad. Like you already had me, I was already yeah. bawling. And yeah. then now you got to like, just tear my heart out and throw it on the ground and stomp all over it. Will you? Right. I mean, it was, it, it's an interesting aspect of it because I feel like, and I haven't, I haven't seen this, but, um, I feel like I, yeah, I would be along with your wife in that regard. And like, you, you've already got me. Right. What are you, what's <laughs> the good in making me just hate right. this moment? Right. Cause now I'm not, I'm not reflecting on it. I'm not in the same boat as Lady Gaga's character. I'm now like, Oh, just, just <laughs> drained. You're draining me. It's awful. And yeah, that, awful. that to me, that's, that's even more forced emotion. Mine was, for, mine was just it, like it, cut back and forth to different yeah. characters that were in that moment. There wasn't, there was no flashback weirdness. Yeah. That, yeah, that sounds like really like maybe they weren't confident enough in, in the buildup of the story up until that point. Cause I think that's what I like about those moments that, that are earned. Yeah. Is that you have that whole story that, you know, 90 minutes or whatever building up to that emotional scene at the end. And if you're emotional because of everything you've just seen before and then it, you know, the floodgates open at the end, I shouldn't need right. that extra flashback. And I think it had to do with the edit, to be honest. So they, the length of time that they showed her singing the live song was probably too long. Okay. So you are connecting with her in that moment. Now, if they opened with that and she started into the song, maybe like into the first, into the first verse mm -hmm. or into the first chorus, and then it kind of does this, you know, flashback. Right. And it, and that, that first cut was shorter, then it probably wouldn't have felt so forced. Like, yeah, yeah. like as she, you start to see her sing and you see her struggling like emotionally, but getting the song out. Um, and then as, as you, you know, pan into, to, to her eyes kind of looking off into the lights or whatever, and then you, yeah, and then you, her. and then yep. you cut to that, it probably wouldn't have felt as forced. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the, for, for our podcast, we're talking about filmmaking, we're breaking down these stories and it's, it's not just a movie review, but we're, we want to get into the technical and I appreciate that that's what we're doing because it, it sets this apart. But that particular moment, I think that that cut was too long. Mm -hmm. that, that, that cut of her singing was too long because it allowed the audience to get into yep. that space yeah. as opposed to let me go into that flashback emotional moment. Mm -hmm. It was still emotional. It still, it still worked. Yeah. But it felt for that, that flashback, because it didn't come soon enough, felt forced and felt like it was like, oh, let me just continue to hammer this on you. Right. That's actually a really interesting thing to point out because I had this, I had a similar moment in Bohemian Rhapsody. Once, once I realized that, oh, they're going to do the whole live eight, 20 minutes here. Like this is, this is the crescendo of this movie is we're going to actually just have set. a queen concert. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. But at first though, I was like, oh, you know, what are we, this is too long. But then once you realize that it, that's what it's going to be is that you, you know what? You came to a queen movie cause you like queen. Yeah. This is your, this is your reward. Right. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think like if, if they would have gotten through the first two and a half songs 
and then went into a flashback like that, I would have been pissed. Right. Because now, yeah, now you're, you're, you're leading my hand instead of, instead of letting me be a spectator in this, in this real moment that actually happened. Yeah. Now you're forcing me right. to have a moment that you, you know, you, you wanted me to have. And st- I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's hence the question that I asked is, is if you had that doctor visit flashback moment that, that started before the concert piece, yeah. but you have the underscore of the of of maybe the first half of the song, of the first song or whatever, which would you, yeah you which would tie really. it would feel like it. You no, it's you know. separated by like ten minutes. Yeah, of other stuff happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I it, it's interesting. There's some similarities there in the two yeah. movies that we saw, but um, kind of feels like maybe one of them did it better, at least in the sen- in sense of that that final emotional moment. I would maybe lean on Bohemian Rhapsody, taking the more um, classy, technical approach in the sense of you just had the last hour and a half to get with this character, and now we've... I mean, it's still forcing an emotion, but you're not... They were confident right. in, in that emotion yeah. payoff. Yeah. Um, but interesting. Yeah, I mean, how did... Um, Stars Born look though. I mean, the trailers oh, and stuff just looks Matthew Levitique yeah. kills it. I mean, that was one of the things we we walked out talking about just the way that the the shots looked. I mean, looked amazing. I mean, yeah. it it was you you felt it. The look was played perfectly into the emotion of the storyline. That's cool. I mean visually telling the story seamlessly mm-hmm. and Matthew just kills it. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing about it that I had a criticism on was I think knowing the story going into it, um, there's parts where it felt like the tempo w- w- drug, like it, it, like they, yeah. I mean, it was, it was two two eleven, I think. So, um, I think they probably could have cut, 15 to 20 minutes out of it and okay. it would still would have worked really well. Yeah. There was, there was just some parts in, they did, they, they spent the time on the character development. They, they, I mean, it, and it's, it's interesting because it's a substance, you know, substance abuse is a big, takes a big portion of, I mean, that's a sub, that's a big subject matter in this particular movie. Right. As well as, you know, last week I saw a beautiful boy and, which again, center stage, yeah. you know, substance abuse, and whereas I felt like the tempo of Beautiful Boy was slow and it dragged and it needed to, because as as right. being able to relate in that situation, it feels like oh gosh, this is just this is going on forever. You want it to end, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't. Right. Um, on the on the opposite of that, Star is born. Like you, you know, he's wrestling with with this with this thing, and kind of comes in, in and out of it. But there's it wasn't like this. Oh, you just want it. You just I kind of just wanted the movie to end because I'm like I kind of know where the story's going, right. and you've already got me. But there was a point in the middle where it, it we were kind of just like, okay, I get it. He's got a drug problem. It's like get it, yeah. get there faster, yeah. right? Get right. there faster. Yeah. I think that might be a common, you know, I, I don't want to say issue, but that's kind of a common thing that happens with, with dramas. You know, they 
Um, they might sometimes lean a little too much in character development where, um, you know, I, I don't know if you necessarily always need that extra two scenes or three scenes to, to, to sell who that person is. Right. Um, um, sometimes, you know, a little less is more in that regard. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's cool. I, mean, I, I think, I think it's one of the best looking movies probably this year. Um, it's right up there with first man look wise. Yeah. The, the look on, I mean, it was, it, it was fantastic. And some of the shots that they did, they, they actually shot real footage live at Coachella at, um, Glastonbury oh, wow. and, and at these, at these actual music festivals yeah. where they came in, in the middle of the music festival and they interrupted the music festival with a set from Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. That's crazy. For this movie. And Bradley Cooper actually does the singing. I oh, mean, there right. was no there was no overdubbing, there was no lip syncing like yeah. this. They and obviously Lady Gaga being a recording yeah, artist right, can, yeah. can do that. That's what she does. Um and here so for me, I haven't really been a fan of Lady Gaga as far as her music and that type of thing. The first time I saw her was in two two thousand ten. It's 2000, 2009, 2010 at, at um, Lollapalooza. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily, her music didn't really re- resonate with me. However, it was the first time because I was there covering the event and I saw, I was like, wow, she's a really great performer. Stage presence for Stage sure. Stage pre- just amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like top 10 of shows Current, that I've yeah, seen right, yeah. in my lifetime. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah. she, I mean, she's that good. Yeah. And so I thought, wow. And then after watching this movie, I'm like, I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm because she just really nails it, knocks it out of the park with her performance in this. And, um, it was, it was just really done. I mean, from, from Bradley Cooper's directing from, from the acting and from, from the look, the storyline, my only, my only hang up again, is just the tempo was a little bit slow in the in the middle towards yeah. the middle. Well, that's that's funny that you talk about singing. Um, Rami Malek, who um, is from Mr. Robot, but he plays Freddie Mercury in, in Bohemian right. Rhapsody, didn't sing at all. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the interview in this, with yeah. him and Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show, and, yeah. and he was talking about the process of when there he was auditioning for the for the role. Like he didn't audition intentionally; they called him in, right? And he said, "Hey, I I, I don't." I don't play the piano yeah. and I don't sing. And, and he was saying he probably got the part because they were like all shocked. Like, Hey, we finally got an, an actor that's humble. Yeah. Right. That's pretty <laughs> He's funny. like, no, no, really. I don't, yeah, I don't no, play. I really can't. <laughs> yeah. I think they taught him how to play. There's, there's quite a few shots of him actually playing piano. And yeah. I mean, it's not for long periods of time or full songs for that matter, but there is a little bit in there and it could be just clever editing or camera or CG, who knows now, but it's definitely not him singing. Um, it was funny though, because he does kind of look so much like Freddie he Mercury. He does. I've seen some of those photos. Yeah, especially side with by the sides. mustache on. Yeah. That it doesn't, it doesn't really look like he's lip singing. And um, he's, and he had um, some teeth that were made. Yeah. He's got like some yeah. prosthetic teeth. Yeah. And, but it, yeah, it was fun to kind of see that. And I guess they used, um, they used a, an impersonator for some vocal parts and then also real Freddie Mercury audio. Oh, wow. For certain things. But there's a few scenes where he's like writing a song or he's writing um, Bohemian Rhapsody, like, you know, in a, 
in a bedroom or whatever with a piano and it's clearly no not taken straight from the recording so they how many galileos are there going to be <laughs> right yeah yeah it's actually galileo, a really interesting galileo. scene i'd be really curious to see like how accurate that scene is because yeah. when they're when they are going through and recording that song it, it's it's probably the one of the highlights of the whole movie it's, nice. it's really cool so yeah. but anyways that's going to be enough. I think we've rambled enough about these two. Check them out. Stars Born and Bohemian Rhapsody and let us know what you yep. think about In them. In theaters now. Go check them out. Or if you listening to this five years from now, I don't know what the streaming platform is now. Right. We are all robots. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on the 400th and 53rd Actually, all you have to do is think of the title <laughs> and it'll start playing in your mind. Yes. And, and yes. do that. Do that thing. <laughs> What what iPhone are we on now? The, the, you, you should know. You have the latest one. No, what iPhone are we on in, oh, in five years? Yeah, probably. Is it even still called iPhone? iPhone twenty nine. It's, it's just it's just a a download in directly into oh, your yes. brain at that Perfect. point. Perfect. That's right? all I need. So it would be it would be your your OS iOS iOS yeah. But it's in my eyeball. Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get to a new segment that we're going to start doing every once in a while. We won't do this every week, but every once in a while, maybe, I don't know, every quarter. Try and flashback do Friday. Yeah, flashback. flashback. It's not Friday. No, but it's not it's, Friday. <laughs> it, no, it, it's, it, it's it rolls Monday. off the tongue better, but uh, if we're going to do a flashback movie. We're going to, we're going to, you know, it might not be film flashback. Stop. It, it might not be 30 years old. It might be just 10 years old, but um, we're going to try and talk about a movie that's older. Rewind the clock back to where we're going to 1987. See what, see what I have to work with here. <laughs> Gosh, I have to edit all of this. You know you're leaving that in. I am. This is all staying. <laughs> but uh, so for this episode, we're going to talk about a movie starring Robert Downey Jr. And he's not, I guess he's not really the star of the movie, but he's the one that everybody remembers he is. from this movie. And he, the movie is, is called Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero. We've kind of got this substance abuse theme going on oh, that's this true. last I didn't even think couple about of weeks. That. Should we call this a substance abuse <laughs> did, did, episode? Did, did Freddie Mercury have any substance oh, abuse? Yeah. And was that like yeah. illustrated? Uh, and it's in there a little bit. There's yeah. some cocaine and uh, pills, but they don't get, too, they don't get too super that. deep yeah. into it, no. Yeah. But, um, Rock and roll, though. I mean, that's I mean, kind of the 80s. Yeah. So... But uh, Robert Downey Jr. is not really the main character of Less Than Zero, is he? No, he isn't. Um, Andrew McCarthy is actually pretty much the main character, and along with, um, so I mean, it's kind of the story of these three kids post high school graduation. Um, Andrew McCarthy plays Clay. Uh, he plays Clay. Yes. Yeah, he plays Clay. I should know. I just watched it again last night. Yeah, it's been about five years since I've watched it. Okay. This was um, a movie that it was, I think it was uh, back when I didn't only have Netflix and Hulu. I had like Encore and Stars and stuff like this, you know, and like digital on demand. Is that what they called it? So um, I was like, well, this is, this looks interesting. This is an 80s movie with Robert Downey Jr. I'll check it out. Yeah. And it was this movie. Yeah. And um, so. McCarthy plays this character Clay along. Oops, sorry, along with um, Jamie Gertz, who plays his girlfriend Blair. Yep. And um, 
Mr. Ultron and, himself. And well, yeah, and James Spader plays Rip, who's the drug dealer. Yeah, and he's, um, he's pretty great in this. He is. He's. It's funny because you you know you think a drug dealer, right? You think like this shady, ominous character, and he's not. I mean, there's a there's a bit of shade to him, obviously because he's doing stuff that's illegal. But he's very polished. Like he looks just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. His like hair he's, slicked back, and he's got yeah. a, you know the oversized, not Letterman, but a, a blazer jacket. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that was the whole. I mean, the big the shoulder vibe, pads, yeah. and that. I mean, that was the whole scene. And so for me, watching this again, some thirty years later, thirty-one to be exact. Um, the first thing I notice is the film quality. The, qu- the what did you watch it on? I, well, it's only available now on Stars. So through Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. If you have a Stars subscription, okay, it's only on Stars. It's not anywhere else. Is I it looked, HD? It's not HD. Oh man, weird. It's 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 almost like you're watching it 30 years ago. And so, but the the. And, and I don't know if there's in the transition process to digitizing it, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what they went through, but there's all kinds of specs in film dirt. And oh, so they didn't the, restore they, it. It wasn't a digital. Yeah, yeah, it's like a straight negative. It wasn't a well. remaster. Yeah. So, which to some degree was kind of cool because it actually felt like it was like yeah. you, when you originally watched it. Um, Sorry, I'm moving the mic. Here's an interesting tidbit that I didn't know that I found out. Brad Pitt is in less than zero. Brad Pitt is a is an extra playing a party goer. Really? In one of the, yeah, in a couple of the scenes, like he's this party goer, and then there's this fight scene where um, Clay and Rip. Um, which is Andrew's character and James Spader's character. They have this, this fight, you know, kind of over, yeah, over yeah. him leaving Robert Downey Jr.'s character alone in this whole thing. But, uh, yeah. So he's just in the background of that he's, fight? He, he's just an extra. Wow. <laughs> Brad Pitt's an extra in this movie. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Hang on. He's not even credited. I'm looking on IMDb right now. He is. It's, it's, it's in there. Partygoer slash preppy kid at fight. Yes. That was his title. That was it. He had another one in 87 called uh, Hunk. He was in a movie called Hunk. I don't know what this is. Boy at the Beach. Yeah. And then uh, the first thing that I ever remember seeing him in, uh, well, Freddy's Nightmares, but that was a TV show. Um, But the first, like, gosh, I guess movie was across the tracks with Brad Pitt that I saw. It was oh, like okay. this this running, I think it was like, a, it might've been made for TV. I can't remember, but, and then he's in Thelma and Louise and that's where he, that's like his first Brad Pitt. He's the one that I can't remember which one's Thelma and which one's Louise, but they meet up, they like find him like they're, they're, you know, Thelma and Louise is a big road trip movie and they're somewhere and they find him and he's kind of like long haired shaggy. And I think one of them sleeps with him or something. I can't remember, but He's in it for like, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. That's funny though. Yeah, that was funny. I was like, what? Man. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the soundtrack, I mean, it was like basically just a flashback for me to 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. I, gra- I graduated the same, t- I graduated in 87. 
went through, I mean, and at the same time, I was in that same life space. And I think that's part of why I'm such a fan of Robert Downey Jr. Because I, re- I could relate to him. Now, I didn't rack up a $50,000 drug yeah. debt. In the and, movie. And, well, and, as, and probably as in he, real life as well. As he, yeah, <laughs> as, he, as he did. And as well as I didn't prostitute myself out to pay back that debt either. Yeah. You know, um, well, okay. But that but, summer was a very dark summer for me. And I, I, it's like life imitating art. Yeah. My life imitated that art big time. All right. Let's give a quick (laughs) breakdown before we get into this about what, what is less than zero? Like what's, what's, give me the synopsis here. I mean, you don't have to be verbatim, but just from what you just watched two days ago or whatever, what is the storyline of less than zero? Well, the storyline is is that there's these these three friends, these two guys and a girl. Um, they've they've gone through high school together. They've gone through all these great experiences together, and they were like the three amigos. Yeah. Um, Jamie's character was was dating Andrew's character, and Robert's character was kind of the third wheel. But but they were they were still the three musketeers. Yeah. And. As they graduate, they they go on to do different things. Um, Andrew goes off to college somewhere in the East Coast, um, and they're all and they're all very well to. They come from these very wealthy families, so yeah, it's definitely it's affluent. Kinda, yeah, it's set know, against yeah. this very affluent white collar America, you know, particularly Los Angeles, you know, Beverly Hills, that whole kind of vibe. Yeah, and. Jamie's character is she's afraid about taking the next step and go. She, she was not sure she wants to go to college. She's trying to do the modeling thing. Um, Julian, which is Robert's character. He's, he's trying to get into the nightclub scene and, and doing some investments that, that didn't really go. And, you know, as he's facing these failures, he's partying a lot. Mm -hmm. Substance becomes a problem. Substance is a problem for Jamie's character, though she seems to be managing it better than than Robert does, right? Or Julian, but um, yeah, it's an interesting like coming of age movie. Yeah, but it's in that later part of life. You get a yeah. lot of coming of age movies where it's like you know kids, yeah, and then they have this event that happens and it changes them and makes them grow up really quick. But yeah, this um, this movie is definitely a lot about three people that thought they had it all figured out and then all of a sudden life hits them when they were not expecting it at all. Right. They didn't know how to deal with yeah. I mean and and yeah, Jamie's character doesn't know how to deal with the fear and the transition and like she wants to go back to the way it used to be, which she can't because um when when uh when Clay Andrew's character is away, her and Julian Robert Downey's character, they hook up and, you know, misery loves company mm-hmm. <laughs> and they got real intimate. And so it's this weird kind of breakdown relationally that happens as well as the the physical breakdown of the the addiction and, and kind of that process and um, all, all juxtaposed against, you know, this very wealthy, well-to-do upper echelon that you know you don't see the the uh the dark underbelly of right. usually 
But interesting um, side note, I guess they're doing a they did a pilot TV show for this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's from this year. So I'll be curious to see if that goes anywhere. I don't know if I'd want to watch a TV show about this and be so depressing. It, yeah, it's I mean hard to watch. It it was hard to watch. I mean, I think, you know, you, so spoiler alert for a 31-year-old movie. <laughs> yeah. Um Julian Robert Downey's character gets rescued from you know, from this situation for the last time and it's for the last time not because he had this successful recovery but because he ends up dying. Yeah. Um he relapsed. He actually goes to um James Spader's character Rip and 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 was like, "Hey, I'm done. I'm I'm going to get clean. I'm going to do this thing and you really feel like, yeah, man, it, you want to cheer him on. You're like, "Okay, you can do this." And they totally draw him back in. Totally tempt he gets sucked back into it and but uh yeah it wasn't for me I think because I lived through that era and all the music that they had in it was just this great um Rick Rubin was the oh, music yeah. director okay. on yeah. this so um he's obviously he's pulled in a, a lot of great relevant music into into the film and um which I think a lot of those 80s movies did a really great job of, you know, having that pop culture connection with current music and mm -hmm. stuff to that effect, which, I mean, the John Hughes films definitely crushed that in oh, that yeah. space. Yeah, they're the, the king of those. Um, though a lot of times people think this might have been a John Hughes film. It wasn't, you know, just because of the actors that were... Yeah, it does that, have that yeah. feel of yeah. it also. Very, yeah. very slice of life real. Yeah. Um, with some pretty dry, straight humor as yeah. well. Yeah. Technically, like the technicality of this movie, I, I don't remember anything sticking out to me, um, like being overly incredible. It it wasn't. And that's funny because now I'm watching it 30 years later mm -hmm. and I'm looking at, you know, they have this opening scene, which um, it's, it's this crane shot where they're up over the street and the cab is coming down, you know, they've got this really wide street shot with the palm trees and everything. Mm -hmm. And the cab is coming down the street and then it kind of um, pans down and it's following, you know, as he's zooming in into the cab and it gets to almost right beneath and then it cuts to inside the cab huh. with Andrew McCarthy, who has come home. Right, he's taking a cab to get right. back to the house. Oh, by the way, this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, it, right. Yeah, again, it, the, this dark story not yeah. only juxtaposed about you know with the upper echelon, but the the yeah. joys of Christmas. Yeah, it's a really interesting juxtaposition <laughs> for sure. Um, and you know, re family relationship or the destruction thereof. But just watching the edits and the cuts were were interesting. There's a, there's a part where so. You before like the opening, you already get the fact that they've they've graduated, they've gone their different ways. Jamie's character's already slept with Robert's character, and she calls, and and he he's out, he's away from wherever, and listens to the, and that's the thing, the, the phone call wasn't on a cell phone. It was on a landline phone. Oh, right. I mean, all yeah. the tech is thirty year old tech right. in this film. 
and he pushes play on this recorder, like this voicemail recorder, (laughs) to listen to her message. And she's calling to come back, and he's thinking he's coming back to see her. She's calling to get him to come help with Julian. Mm. And um, But there's a scene where there's these cut scenes as he's sitting on the edge of the bed that cuts back to them, and it cuts back to him walking in on them, and it cuts back to these, and it, and it, and it's an interesting use of color and black and white. Oh, so I don't remember this. When, yeah, I didn't remember it either. And when he remembers the scene, the scenes that he's remembering yeah. are in black and white. Huh. The the previous, and I thought, oh, that's an interesting use of of color and black and white that you don't see too often. You don't see that much of that anymore yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a very eighties, early nineties yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, the color, though, that is one thing I wanted to talk about, and it's something that I wish I would have remembered this movie when I was pre when I was in pre-production on the party narrative series that I was working on because there is a lot of party in this movie. Oh yeah, and it's all neon colors, mm-hmm. all yeah, br- neon pinks TVs and teals, and, and yeah. yeah, it's it's really cool. And so I, I was just going through some screenshots and stuff of it, you know, just to kind of remember some different different parts of it but yeah it's a it's a very 80s looking movie and dayglow was a thing oh, i yeah. mean everybody was wearing and you don't see a lot of the dayglow as far as the fashion was concerned i mean you do see a lot of the the tapered legs pleated pants yeah. big big shoulder you know jackets and and that type of thing and the hair there you know there was a lot yeah. of big hair in the yep. 80s uh, but there you didn't see a lot of the dayglow which I mean, maybe that was a little bit earlier in the '80s, but even at that point, was was still a thing. Well, I mean, eighty eighty eight was Miami Vice, right? Um, actually, even was it earlier? Early, yeah, it was, was a little early? earlier because I was still living at home at that point. So, so yeah, eighty four, eighty five. Funny though, because Dayglow—that's that's what it was called then. But I think they call it like. Outrun now, like oh, that's the, they just the re- title. Yeah. They, yeah, they call yeah. it they, all that '80s vibe, like yeah. Outrun or uh, Synthwave or something like yeah. that. Now, but that's a type of music too. But um, it's funny though because you know when we were doing pre-production and I was I was doing pre-production on this narrative series, I was constantly going to '80s movies for reference for for music mm-hmm. and. Uh, visuals and there's a there's a movie that's not in the 80s but it kind of has like an 80s vibe to it. It's this horror movie called The Guest and it's it's mm. a really unique looking movie in the sense of when it came out it was really unique. Now a lot of movies have come out where they have that kind of retro 80s nostalgic look to them. But this movie um, it's a horror movie so you're 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 warned there. But check it out. It's 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 a really great looking movie. Um, but a lot of, a lot of bright colors in the party scenes and a lot of synth wave, you know, mm-hmm. retro music, um, thrown in there too. So it's actually where I heard, um, this band called survive for the first time and then survive went on to go and do all the music for stranger things. Oh the, yeah. The TV show. So, yeah. but, um, back to less than zero. So it was based off of a book by Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brett Easton Ellis has done a ton of writing. He is probably most known for American Psycho with Christian right. Bale. Yep. Um, 
he did that. And that movie is another one that I think we could probably hit up on maybe during Halloween next year or something for a, a flashback episode. But yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff in that that I think is really interesting, especially in like a storytelling aspect. It's because it's kind of told not necessarily in order or you don't know if it's present or if it's past or if it's even happened and all this stuff. But I was going to ask you know, you, you had brought this movie up and what about it resonated with you so well? I mean, you, you mentioned you basically being the same age as this movie when, when it came out or mm-hmm. the demographic that it was aimed at. Yep. But why do you think 31 years later you're still thinking about it? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I'm an RDJ fan. I've been a fan since the Brat Pack years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've watched his career from I mean in even his personal life, he, I mean he went through a lot of the similar struggles with substance, but yet has has overcome. Yeah. So his story, not just career wise, but even personally, is a story of victory and overcoming these challenges. I think um, last week watching Beautiful Boy, feeling just that. Um, the angst and yeah, the and the the, 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 the struggle yeah, right. and so and my son's been in 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 this battle and he's making some good choices and 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 we're 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 standing in it with him um, but so I shared my story str- with my struggle through that at that time because I struggled through some of those same things back then right um, and I've overcome and so. I wanted to share that with him, and and I think thinking about this this particular, you know that that was that was me. Like if I was going to say, I, you know, where where I was at thirty years ago, this is where I was at. Um, though I was probably a little bit of clay and a little bit of Julian, yeah. but not yeah. all of both. Right. Um, and thinking about holding on to Robert's story of overcoming, holding on to my experience of overcoming and wanting to pass that story of overcoming to my, to my kids, to my son in particular. And, um, there's hope there. There's hope in that. And I think that hope you've got to recognize the the dark and the, and the bad and not be afraid to, to deal with it, not be afraid to, sure. to tackle it, not be afraid to bring it out in the open. Because and and I think that's what some of these movies do. Some of this art and I mean, you know, we see it in *Stars Born*. We see it in *Bohemian Rhapsody*. We see it in you know these other films, and it's real. It's real. It's it's a struggle. And if by talking about it, it helps provide that safe place, or it helps provide hope yeah. in overcoming, then. Um, then yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I mean, hiding it doesn't help anything. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, we we, we talked about it last week and, you know, we we provided a link in our show notes for some stuff, but yeah, I, 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 we didn't intend to have this theme for this episode. No, Um, that wasn't what the intention was. But it kind of, yeah, it's definitely morphed that way to um, dealing with things that, might be in the dark a little bit and yeah. bringing them to the light. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think there's a lot of people that um, might be ashamed or afraid or 
scared to to bring it up to people, but you know the the alternative is much worse. So it know. is much worse. And and there's another theme that we haven't really, I mean, we've kind of discussed, but not really pointedly recognized that music is such a huge part of the these movies. Oh yeah. Um, this movie in particular, um, with Rick Rubin and doing that whole being the music director and. Um, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, yeah. that's a music movie. Yeah. Stars Born, that's a music movie. Yeah. Um, and music is such a, a huge part of, I think, resonating and speaking a language that transcends those fears and those, um, the things that keep us locked up yeah. and buried. And it really helps us to be able to identify, relate to, express, and... Um, and get those things out there. Definitely. So I know music for me was a huge, after that summer in 87, I came to a, a, my first U2 concert, 1987. It was the, the Joshua Tree Tour. Yep. They played. I had to sign a film waiver. It was the first movie I was ever in. Oh, which wow. was Rattle and Hum. How? No, I was. You're a, in Rattle and Hum. I was a tiny little spectator at the. Uh, Sun I have Devil, that on Blu-ray. Sun Devil Stadium. What? <laughs> so if you if you now you can't see me because it's a helicopter shot right. over the stadium. Yeah. But if you when there's a helicopter shot in Rattle and Hum where they they they're circling around the stadium above the stadium. Yeah. And near the top. Uh, of the stadium, there's four guys holding this big white sheet <laughs> that has U2 painted on painted it. Painted on it? Okay. That was us. What? That was us. All right, I'm going to have to look back, because I have it in it, HD like Blu-ray now, fl- so it's I, like a I can probably quick see clip. it. quick oh, clip. You can probably see it. But, um, but that that was kind of really, for me personally, now I'm getting, now it's getting now it's becoming this personal. Yeah, it's fine, though. But, Movies are personal. And it, for me, that concert that weekend was really the weekend that I realized that life, there was more hope in life than the the trajectory that I was on, which was a lot like Julian's trajectory. Wow. So, um, so that's why I have a U2 tattoo. I've got a Joshua yeah. Tree tattoo yeah. and, and that music is what, um, what resonated with me and really helped me to go, look, there's, there's hope. It can be different. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Music is a, an incredible tool, yeah. Especially for filmmakers, I think it's sound, especially, um, is something that maybe some filmmakers don't pay enough attention to. But music, you know, it. The episode two just released um, for that narrative series I was working on. And there's a moment in there where the music works with the visuals and the narration so well that it just gives me goosebumps every time I've oh, seen it. I've yeah. seen it like ten times now. But every time I just I just have a little party inside my head because it just worked so well. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, music, man. I just we're gonna have to have an episode where we just talk about music and movies and and when they work and when it doesn't and when maybe when yeah. it doesn't too. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, I there's there's certain composers that are out there that um I think are just unforgettable. Yeah. And they they sell the movie. You wouldn't even I don't think you would remember the movie the same way if you didn't have that music. 
by right. some of those people. John Williams. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's yeah. just Star I mean, Wars, everything. Yeah. Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars without no, John Williams. it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. So, I mean, um, speaking of John Williams, it's funny because um, Bohemian Rhapsody was 20th Century Fox, and the 20th Century Fox fanfare was originally made by John Williams. Well, they queenify it. And Which so, is hilarious because Less Than Zero is a 20th was Century really? Fox film with that same. Stars Born also? Um, that's a good question. I think it might have been New Line. MGM. MGM. And Warner right. Brothers. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, it was funny to to hear that that fanfare be, you know, played with kind of a I, I they may have actually gotten Brian May to do it. I don't know. Um I hope I'm saying his last I th- I'm pretty sure it's Brian May, right? Yeah. yeah. That's Brian, yeah. Um the guitar, so they played the that fanfare on the guitar. Yeah, it's like It sounds like a queen. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Can you do that again? No. But uh, it's yeah. You should have seen his air guitar. We'll it was do fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we'll do a, we'll do a music episode um, for sure because it, it's such a big part of just the. It really experience. is. It really is. Yeah. So I, you know, and it's funny you bring you you talk about sound and audio and and that whole thing. I can sit through a movie where the visual quality may be lacking. If the audio is crisp and clean, yeah. If the audio is trash, I'm out. And and it's got this yeah. most beautiful, amazing looking picture. I'm done. Yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, I. It's yeah something that everybody needs to pay more attention to. Yeah, clean audio, yeah. decent audio, interesting audio, and yeah. an audio that matches your story. That oh you're trying yeah, to and tell. I can't I can't wait yeah. to see this this. Um, Second episode of the party. Oh, yeah, it's it's turned out really well. So, um, anything else you want to say about uh, Less Than Zero? Um, if you haven't seen it and you have a Prime account with Stars, uh, yeah, take or take a watch. Go to a used DVD store yeah, and try and find DVD a copy yeah, somewhere in the dollar ninety nine bin. It's probably there. I can't believe it's not on Blu ray. Yeah. So check out those movies, guys. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody is pretty good. Um, Stars Born Stars will Born. get some Oscar nods, yeah, I guarantee it. It sounds like it will. Yep. And then uh, Less Than Zero, find it somewhere and check it out. It's 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 really good, even, even given the time that it was made. Um, but some movies that are coming out soon that I'm interested in, this week is going to be Overlord, which was going to be a uh, Cloverfield movie, but then they decided against it. Uh, produced by J.J. Abrams, it's a pretty gory looking horror movie, but I haven't seen one of those in a while. So mm-hmm. I'm interested. Um, but then after that, we, cause there wasn't enough gore in Halloween there for was you. Not for me. <laughs> no, it's nothing. Halloween was nothing. Come on. But, uh, fantastic beasts is after that. I saw the first yeah. one. I really enjoyed it. Um, from what I hear, this one seems to be even more fantastic. I like what I did there. I'm going to keep yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> girl, but, girl in the spider's web. Yeah. So this is the non, David Fincher sequel to Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claire Foy is the girl in it, and she was in uh, The Crown mm. on Netflix. She's great in that. She plays the queen. Uh, and then she's in First Man that I saw this year, and she's great in that too. She plays um, his his wife. That's what's coming out soon that I'm excited for and that we'll probably do some episodes on. Um, we don't have a set episode for next week, but... But hey, if you guys have an idea that you'd like us to discuss for either flashback or for osmosis or for what we're watching, we'd love to hear about it. Tweet at us 
at the easy podcast or comment on our Instagram post and on the IG I'm on Instagram more than anything else. That's for sure. So, but yeah, I'd be really curious to see, you know, what, what other Robert Downey Jr. Movies are you guys into or what eighties vibe movies do you like? Oh, you know, we're going to do a whole John Hughes series. Oh, we are for sure. (laughs) Yeah. We might have to do it in December because there's one of, if not two of the best John Hughes movies take place in December, Christmas time. So, um, I yeah, I think that'd be Saint awesome. Saint Elmo's Fire. That's that Christmas time? I think so. I was thinking of Home Alone. Oh yeah, well yeah, <laughs> that's a classic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but uh, I think that's going to be it for this episode, guys. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will check you out next time. Hit us up on Instagram at the Easy Podcast, Twitter same handle at Easy Podcast, and uh, we're on YouTube at the Easy Podcast Show. We'll have some uh, creative elements up there, hopefully in the next couple months or so. And um, you can find me on Instagram at Zach Abbotts and Eric. You can find me at Eric Thurston. And we talked over each other. That's awesome. But you got it. It's in the show notes. You know where we are. Yep, that's right. right, And you can find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Whatever you're listening to it on right now. We're on other stuff too. Yeah. So right now we're having an issue with our search where you have to not put any spaces. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. on Some weeks it works, some weeks it doesn't. It's weird. But. Anyways, but the links there, click the bit.ly link. I'm trying to close the show. I'm trying to close the show. Let the people know where they can find the show. Anyways, you can click the link on the Instagram. (laughs) It'll send you right to the iTunes post. So thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you next time. All right. Peace. I'm going to do my Arthur Morgan voice again. Thanks for uh, hanging on past the end of the show. This is uh, this is just for you. So, uh, Eric, what kind of movies do you want to talk about? Well, I don't know. I think we should tell the audience to get out of here because this is our movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you cannot handle Arnold, then you should get to the chopper. Chop- What's a chopper? I'm from the old west. I don't know what a chopper is. <laughs> is that like for cutting wood? <laughs> well, you can cut something with it. I'll tell you if you get in the props and the propellers. What's a propeller? It's the thing that lifts it off the ground. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that something can fly like a bird? I'm telling you, if you don't come with me now, you're not going to live. Them's fighting words where I'm from, sir. Your clothes. Give them to me now. (laughs) (laughs) You just went from the Predator to the Terminator, sir. There's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) That's the show. Thanks for listening.